Our reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their gifts, treasures, uh, they opened their treasures and presented them, him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Well, one of the things that is up for great discussion uh, at this time of year is this big question. When should we take down our Christmas decorations? When is the right time to actually take your tree down? Uh, For some of us, tradition doesn't really matter. And uh, the important thing for us is to get it all done before we go back to work or school or whatever. Uh, For us in the Talbot household, that took place on Thursday uh, because I was going back to work on Friday. And if it hadn't have happened before then, our decorations would still be up in February, even though I have to be honest, I always leave up some of my twinkling lights just to get me through January as well. For some of us, we're a little bit more traditional, and we know that actually today is the day, the 6th of January, where we take down our Christmas decorations, because as Gemma reminded us, it's the last day of Christmas, so you take down all your decorations today. Some of us might be more purist in this, maybe you're like this, and actually, you know that you should have taken down your Christmas decorations yesterday, because actually, the whole point is, is that everything has to be gone by 12th night, by the 6th of January, which is today. So I wonder which you would fall into, but whatever, we all know one thing. That for the next few weeks, the streets of Edinburgh are going to be strewn with Christmas trees. Uh, We're going to see really sad, really dejected looking Christmas trees uh, leaning up against bins on pavements, blowing down streets. That happened on my street last year. um, All over Edinburgh for the next two weeks as we wait for that mystical moment when the council will indeed come and pick up our Christmas trees. But today, as Gemma pointed out, the 6th of January also marks the start of the Christian season of Epiphany, the time where we celebrate the visit of the Magi uh, to the young Jesus. To many, Epiphany is all about kings, not just taking down Christmas decorations. 
And there are three sets of kings that we discover in our reading that we just heard Naomi read to us. So we're just going to explore those three sets of kings together. The first set of kings are the most obvious, the the we three kings of Orientar, who turn up bearing gifts for baby Jesus. But what on earth are these people doing in the Christmas story? Well, first of all, uh, they aren't really part of the Christmas story at all. Uh, They're not really part of the story of Christ's birth. Because we know that actually this visitation occurred probably up to two years after Jesus' birth. And secondly, we also know that they probably weren't kings either. Uh, And nor were there three of them. We only think there are three because we have three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh that are named. So who are these people? Well, the term that Matthew used to describe them is magi. And that word is found in Acts, um, written by Luke, uh, later on in the New Testament, to describe magicians. So some people think they were some sort of magicians. But most people agree that these people were observing the stars. They were astrologers of their time. They were actually Gentiles, non-Jewish astrologers. Now, bearing in mind that in this time, there was no uh, light pollution at all, there was no twinkly lights, no car headlights, no street lamps or whatever, astronomy was a popular pursuit. And the people of this part of the world uh, got sort of the examination of the planets and the stars down to a fine art. They would examine the changes of constellations of planets and stars, uh, and they would observe the remarkable events that were taking place in the heavens. And they believed that those events had links to what was going on on Earth. So, when the Magi saw something happening in the heavens, it wasn't surprising, therefore, that they decided they thought something remarkable had or was about to take place on earth. And the most likely theory of what they saw in the sky was actually the conjunction of the planets Jupiter and Saturn, uh, because modern-day astrologers believe that that happened three times in 7 BC. And interestingly, when you realize uh, that Jupiter, the planet Jupiter, was viewed uh, by scholars at this time as being the kingly or the royal planet, and that Saturn uh, was sometimes thought to represent the Jews, we can understand a little bit more of why these magi thought that actually this constellation, what they saw in the heavens, indicated that a new king of the Jews was about to be born or had been born. So then, into Christ's birth, step in not three kings, but a group of inquisitive, intelligent outsiders. Step into the story of Christ's birth, people who are seeking the truth, who are seeking a king. And in doing so, they become part of God's big story. The Magi are, if you like, the the spiritual seekers of the day. They could have been diverted many times on that long journey they went on to find Jesus. But in the end, they pursued uh, what they believed to be true. 
And they ended up being able to be in the presence of the king, being able to worship the king of kings and the lord of lords. So I wonder where you are on your spiritual journey. I wonder if you're still working out who Jesus is or whether you are already on a lifelong journey with Jesus, have been a Christian for many, many years. Are we still seeking the king wherever we are on that journey? And I wonder how you and I are going to continue to seek and pursue the king as we enter into 2019. How are we going to keep seeking him? How are we going to keep getting to know more of him? Many of us who might have been Christians for 20, 30 years will know that there's so much more to know of God. Are we still seeking the King? The best way that I think we can do this is by reading the Bible and by praying and actually committing to do that. Uh, This time last year, I just started on the epic journey, which is doing the Bible in one year. I use the Bible in one year app. Uh, It's brilliant. I can highly recommend it, uh, partly because I listened to it. And so I had David Suchet reading me the Bible every day. It was really delightful. You'll be delighted to know that I'm on September the 29th as well. Uh, Haven't quite got there yet. I have, I didn't stop on September the 29th. It's just where I've got to uh, because sort of, you know, sometimes when you're reading three chapters of Isaiah in a day, you might not complete it. Um, So I'm going to keep going with my Bible in the year, hopefully get there by about the end of March, maybe complete it. But why don't you think about taking up some sort of challenge, uh, maybe not Bible in a year, but deciding that you're going to start some new Bible reading thing this year. Maybe you could decide to to seek the king with some other friends that you know of. Decide to commit together, to meet once a month uh, with a couple of other people you know, to pray for each other, maybe to read the Bible together, to share life with each other. I can really recommend that. It makes such a difference when you're walking this journey of seeking the king with others. Some of us, it might be the year for you to commit to join a connect group or to start a new connect group uh, where you live. Again, just chat to me at the end if you're interested in doing that. Or maybe you want to uh, join the Freedom in Course, uh, Christ course that's starting uh, next week as well. And Gemma will mention more about that at the end. There are loads of things that we can do to seek the King in 2019. There were lots of things that could have got in the way of those magi seeking the king. But they were set out to find him. They wanted to be in the presence of the king. Are we seeking the king? Are we desiring to be in the presence of the king? Our next king that we find in this passage was definitely a king, and that was King Herod. Matthew opens uh, this chapter in Matthew 2 with these words. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. When Finian, uh, who is our youngest child and probably our most amusing child, was around uh, three or four years old, he became completely obsessed by King Herod. Uh, And this obsession lasted, I reckon, for at least 18 months. Uh, The reason it started was that at his preschool, they'd done a nativity, uh, and this little boy, I remember his name, he's called Henry Swan, um, did the most dramatic uh, performance of King Herod ever. It was sort of dark 
Darth Vader-esque. And, uh, and Finian, who was three or four at the time, was so captured by King Herod, he became obsessed by King Herod, particularly about King Herod's palace or castle. I don't really know why. So everywhere we went, he would ask, is this King Herod's castle, mummy? Um, we'd be going up the drive, visiting a National Trust property, and he'd be like, is that King Herod's palace? And we'd be like, no, it's not. We'd be going to visit a, a shopping center, large building. Is this King Herod's palace, mummy? No, that's not King Herod's pa palace. Uh, the best one uh, was, I reckon, just before he was four, and we were traveling up the A1 to my cousin's funeral in uh, Newcastle, and suddenly from the back of the, the car, Finian pipes up with, Mummy, that is King Herod's palace. And so John and I looked to our left and we saw a very large power station uh, with four huge cooling towers as well. Definitely wasn't uh, King Herod's castle. Uh, and if you uh, had asked Finian during this time what he wanted to do when he grew up, he would respond like this, when I grow up, I'm going to earn enough money to buy a red Ferrari, one of his other obsessions, and I'm going to drive that red Ferrari to Jerusalem and find King Herod's palace. <laughs> the boy was obsessed. It was highly amusing. But who was the real King Herod? Who was the real King Herod? Herod was the, the client king of Rome. He was a puppet king, if you like. He'd been a, a governor in Galilee, uh, and he had gained favor in this violent society and was installed as the king of Judea. The Romans thought that Herod could keep tabs on what was going on and keep control of the Jewish people. And he, we know that his reign was long and it was prosperous. Uh, it was about 33 years old and also resulted in a large number of building projects which kept people employed and controlled uh, and did well for the economy. But we also know that it was a costly reign uh, because in his quest for power, uh, alongside this man's deep insecurities and paranoia, it led to his reign being marked by cruelty and violence. Uh, most famously, when he suspected his wife of disloyalty, he murdered her, along with her two sons as well. A little bit later in his reign, he killed his older son as well when he felt threatened by him. And uh, famously, uh, on his deathbed, he demanded that when he die, all the leading citizens of uh, Jericho be slaughtered for the one purpose that then other people would be weeping at his funeral. Herod was king only as long as he quashed and controlled anyone who might be after his throne. He was only king as long as he kept favor with Rome. And so bearing all this in mind, when the Magi arrive at his court, Matthew is giving us political dynamite. When, when they, Magi asked this paranoid king this question, where is the one born to be king of the Jews? Here we have Herod, this imposter, this usurper of the Jewish throne, paranoid and vulnerable, being asked by these innocent, Gentile, inquisitive astrologers 
who've seen a star that's indicated that a king is going to be born to the Jewish people. Where is the new king of the Jews? And so you can imagine the anxiety and the fear that rises uh, within Herod as he asks himself, what king? I'm the king. What's this king of the Jews that you're talking about? And Matthew records that Herod was deeply disturbed. He was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Indeed, we later discover uh, that the news of this baby disturbs Herod so deeply that he orders that all the babies under two in that area are killed, trying to find the one who is the king. (coughs) Herod was disturbed when he heard that Jesus had been born. And on so many levels, I think that Jesus is the king who continues to disturb people. Towards the end of last year, I had the privilege of uh, meeting some missionaries who work in North Korea. Hearing them speak and hearing at the lengths that they go to to share Jesus uh, with the oppressed and fearful people of North Korea and also how they support Christians, underground Christians in North Korea was quite incredible and a huge privilege to spend those hours with them. But it was also horrific to hear of the lengths that the North Korean regime will go to to try and extinguish Christianity from the face of their country. And these missionaries also made it clear to us uh, that despite what we see and hear on the media uh, following the meetings that Kim Jong-un has had with Donald Trump and the leaders of South Korea, Christians are under more surveillance and are under more pressure and are facing more brutal persecution than ever before. It's so dangerous to have a Bible in North Korea that Christians go to great lengths to keep them concealed. They told us about one lady who kept her pages of the Bible in her beehives. She was a beekeeper, and she had these hives at the bottom of her garden. And each day she would go down to her beehives, and without taking her Bible out of the hive, she would open it and lean in and read the Bible, because it was so dangerous to even take her Bible out of the beehives. And we heard about how one day the authorities turned up at this woman's house uh, searching for illegal documents. Uh, They turned her house upside down. Uh, They didn't find any illegal documents at all in the house. Um, Because they uh, were acting on intelligence and knew that this woman did have something that they suspected was a Bible in her house, they got hold of her young uh, daughter, who I think they said that she was sort of seven seven or eight years old. Uh, And they said to the daughter, you need to tell us where your mum has hidden these illegal documents. And if you don't tell us, we're going to take your mum away. This girl was obviously petrified, and she said, I don't know. I haven't seen my mum with any illegal documents. And they continued to interrogate and pressure uh, this young girl. And eventually, she said, all I, my mum goes down to do her beehives. That's all I know. And so the, the police went down to the beehives, and inside the beehives, they discovered the woman's Bible. 
And we asked these missionaries what had happened to this woman and her daughter. And they explained to us uh, that it wasn't just the woman who was taken away, but the woman and her daughter were taken away. But also, her whole family were taken away. But not only that, everybody who was associated with this woman was taken away and hasn't been seen since. Because they explained that's what happens. There is so much fear around Christianity and around the loss of control that if one person is found with a Bible, the whole family, extended family, and everybody else associated with that person is sent away. The North Korean regime are determined to remove what they call the stain of Christianity from their society. They're so disturbed by the king. But there are still 400,000 underground Christians in North Korea out of a country of 25 million. So maybe this year we can commit to pray for those Christians who faithfully following Jesus and seeking the king in that society. So Jesus is the king who disturbs people. Whether it's a paranoid and power-crazed regime or whether it's you and I. If Jesus were no one, if Jesus were nothing important, he couldn't and he wouldn't have the power to do that. But if he is the king of kings and if he is the lord of lords, if he is the bearer of salvation, if he is God's personal presence on earth, if we believe that God does continue to transform society and transform lives today, then he can and he will continue to disturb us and continue to disturb whole societies. At the start of 2019, are we ready for this king who disturbs? Are we ready for Jesus to perhaps shake us up a little bit in our faith and in our lives? Are we ready to really experience the love of Jesus transform us? Are we ex- ready for Jesus to disturb us and challenge us about the way we live? We're going to be hearing over the next few weeks uh, what that might look like for us as a church as we begin to look at the new strategy uh, that we're rolling out at P's and G's. But it may be more personal than that. For some of us, being disturbed by Jesus might involve us actually going on the next Alpha course that we're going to have to actually start to really consider the claims of Jesus Christ. For some of us, it might be look like actually inviting somebody along to the Alpha course. One of the things that really struck me as I was listening to those missionaries from North Korea in November uh, was the fact that we sit there scared at witless about inviting somebody to the Alpha course what have we got to lose? We might lose face for a day or two. We're not going to lose our lives. We're not going to lose our freedom. We're not going to lose our families or our friendship groups. All we're going to do is help somebody gain a relationship with Jesus. Allowing Jesus to disturb you might be about making a lifestyle choice uh, that are more ethical or environmentally in line with who Jesus is. Or maybe you can decide now to allow the Holy Spirit to disturb you in terms of how you're conducting one of your relationships. Herod was disturbed by Jesus. 
Are you and I ready to be disturbed by the King and allow him to speak to you and encourage you and challenge you this year? And lastly, the real king is really the least likely king in the story. The true king was not found in a palace. This king was not found to have power or status or authority or wealth. In fact, the true king is completely passive as this story continues in Matthew's gospel. The Magi found him in some sort of house or dwelling place with his mother. And they discover in this baby, this small child, the one they have been looking for, the king. And their response is simply uh, to worship him, to bring him their gifts, gifts that are fit for a king, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And that baby in that manger, in that dwelling place with his mum and dad, That baby is the most significant event in the history of the world. And why is that? Because that baby gives us a way to know God. In John's account of the incarnation, we discover that God gives us Jesus to not just speak about God, to not just show us the character of God, but to be God amongst us. The word was made flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Jesus is revealed as who he really is, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The true king is not found in a palace with power and status and wealth. Jesus is a king, but a very different sort of king. And this whole story uh, found in Matthew chapter 2, this whole story of the kings points forward to a time when Jesus comes face to face with the representative of the greatest human king that the world had known, and that is Caesar. It's under Pilate, Caesar's subordinate, that Jesus is sentenced to death. And as they nail uh, Jesus to a cross, Caesar's soldiers place a sign above his head which read, this is the king of the Jews. Those soldiers were the first people since the Magi to declare Jesus as the king of the Jews. And rather than putting a a royal crown on his head, they place a crown of thorns on his head. And rather than a bright star leading the way, as darkness comes over the world, a voice is heard declaring the truth about this king. Surely, this man is the Son of God. So three things for us to consider this epiphany. What does it look like for us in 2019 to be seeking the King? What does it look like for you to be seeking after and pursuing Jesus? What does it look like for you and I to be disturbed by Jesus? Or how can we be involved in allowing Jesus to disturb other people so that they too might know his love and forgiveness and transforming power in their lives? And what does it mean for Jesus to be our king?